They're smarter. They're faster. They're organized. Welcome to Editors on Editing. I'm your host, Glenn Garland. As a feature film and television editor, I've had the great pleasure of working with and interviewing countless award-winning editors over my career, and I'm excited to bring some of those conversations to this new podcast. In collaboration with American Cinema Editors and Pro Video Coalition, I will bring chats with your favorite film and television editors. Today, I am joined with Dodie Dorn and her assistant, Carlos Castillon. Dodie has edited such seminal works as Memento, for which she was nominated for the Oscar and the Eddie, Fury, for which she and Jay Cassidy won the Hollywood Film Award for Best Editing, Life of Judy Garland, Me and My Shadow, for which she was nominated for the Emmy and the Eddie Award, End of Watch, and Kingdom of Heaven. Now she has joined Zack Snyder to deliver two of the most highly anticipated films of the year, Zack Snyder's Justice League and Army of the Dead. Dodie, Carlos, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's so fun to be here. Thanks for asking us. So tell me, how did you and Zack Snyder start working together? It was kind of like the usual thing. My agent set me up with a meeting. We met. We liked each other. I read the script. He told me his vision for the story, and we decided to uh, work together. Cool. And was that for Army of the Dead, or was that for Justice League? That was for Army of the Dead. So you started working with him first on Army of the Dead and then jumped on to Justice League. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. So were you working on both projects around the same time? Well, we passed the projects back and forth because when we went home for the COVID lockdowns, we were just about to go into the preview process for Army of the Dead, which meant we were pretty close to finishing. So that opened up my time shortly after, I think about May, I was able to start working on Justice League while we shut down for the most part on Army of the Dead while we waited to prep some additional photography. I see. So was Zach already working on Justice League, his version, while you guys were doing Army of the Dead or how, how did that work? Well, this is where Carlos should step in because Carlos was on Justice League from the beginning, way back in 2016, and he stayed on the project after Zach left. Yeah, so we started just putting together his original cut, the editor's assembly, and uh, this began right after the movie had come out. And so we kind of built it for Zach himself. He initially just wanted a version of the movie that he can have to play for any friends. So we were able to edit the movie, kind of trim it down, and then do a little mix at one of the mixer's houses. And then we made a like a master file, and that's kind of how it lived for maybe two, three years. While we were on Army of the Dead, Warner Brothers reached out to him about possibly putting it on to uh, HBO Max. Then we just opened up visual effects and finished it. <laughs> so were some of the visual effects already completed at that point? It was still in the early stages. Most of the visual effects were incomplete. So we had a lot of green screen. We had a lot of uh, Cyborg's character, for instance. He was in gray pajamas through the whole Snyder cut. 
And we were able to use some of the final visual effects from the theatrical version, but a lot of them we couldn't only because, you know, Zach had a different idea as to what things should look like. So we ended up doing a color pass. Well, I guess D color pass. We made everything black and white to help hide the fact that we were using previs. And it ended up looking really cool, actually. And that's... That's how it lived in Zach's version at that time when you guys stopped working on it? Yeah, and that's how he presented it to the studio as well. It was a a black and white file. Mm -hmm. I like how Zach characterized it up until that point. He said he just thought that it was this unicorn that was going to exist in his world that nobody was going to ever see. Mm. And it was very exciting when the studio decided to go ahead and let him finish his version of the movie. Absolutely. So did he shoot any new footage or was all the footage uh, there from his original shoot? There were about three days, maybe four of additional photography. And the visual effects company, was it the same visual effects company that you were working on Army of the Dead with? No, um, DJ Desjardins has worked with Zach quite a bit and they worked together on the film before he left. And then I think DJ stayed on to finish, right, Carlos? Yeah, that's right. The Joss Whedon version. Yes. And then that team came back. So with a film this big, there were probably about 2,000 visual effects that were touched during this process, whether they were redone or using resources that had already been developed but never finished, plus moving to the aspect ratio, the 133 aspect ratio, all of that had to be considered. And the visual effects was a huge part of the process. So in terms of shorthand, I would say Zach and DJ have a shorthand and I was catching up. <laughs> Excellent. And did Zach have a clear idea of what he wanted to do with it when the studio said, let's release your version? Yeah, yeah. He he knew exactly which areas he wanted to refocus on. And then also because we were finishing the visual effects, that ended up changing how a lot of other scenes kind of came into each other. That's when Zach and Dodie really started having fun. <laughs> and what was the uh, input from the studio at that point? Did they pretty much let Zach do what he wanted to do because of the history of the project? I think that that was the whole point of it. And it was really a great pleasure to work on the film in that way, where we just were manifesting Zach's vision. That was really fun. That's great. So it sounds like if you started at the beginning of COVID, that was a very quick process, but maybe it was already pretty far along in uh, the process when you jumped on, Dodie. Is that is that how it worked? Yes, no question about it, because... First of all, Carlos was working with David Brenner's work, where he had left it very developed. And then Carlos and Zach worked it some more over the intervening years, which is really amounts to about three years. And then when I came on, I, I had a pretty fleshed out cut based on the material we had, and we just targeted certain areas. I would not have had time to go through every single scene in the movie with the time we had. And one of the first things we had to do was get as many of the VFX into the pipeline as possible. Because from May till January, which was already pushing a a drop-dead deadline for the VFX to be completed, that was a tremendous amount of work. 
to try to get that all done in that short period of time. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So we we really focused on the big VFX that we're going to take a lot of time to get right, which had to do with the design of the characters, including Dasad and Darkseid, and also changing what Steppenwolf looked like back to what Zack's original vision was. And then yeah, there... he's, he looked, he's totally different looking. In fact, the whole tone of the movie is completely different. Well, and rather than different, I would say it's more in line with what was originally written and what Zach had envisioned for the film. So what's, Absolutely. what's different is the Joss Whedon version. But since you had to see them in this order, yes, yes, they're two completely different animals. It shows the power of editing and the power of tone and the power of uh, different vision. It's uh, quite an interesting analysis to look at both films back to back. Yeah, I would say so. But then, so going back to the challenge of the VFX and the timing of that, we had to dig into those scenes with Darkseid and Dasad and Steppenwolf right away so those could get in the pipeline. And there was... The dialogue was tweaked or rewritten and the scenarios were tweaked. And that was really important. I see. And then we did about two weeks of additional photography on Army in about, was it August, I think, August or September. Yeah. And then we stopped down working on Justice League during that time where the visual effects plates were spinning, as they say. (laughs) And then once the Army material was put back in, we would flip over to working on Justice League again. Wow. And I will ask a question that, Dodie, you can feel free to answer however you want, but what would you say makes an excellent assistant editor, which I assume Carlos is, because I'm sure people would love to hear that. I I love that question. And one of my answers is that person never breaks a sweat. So they might be sweating on the inside, but they don't <laughs> let the editor know that. <laughs> and and are you sweating on the inside, Carlos? Oh, yeah. There were some times where we're definitely, uh, I was like a duck on, you know, just very calm on top of the water, but don't, don't look underneath. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And there was another great thing about having Carlos is that he has worked with Zach several times and Zach really gets attached to his collaborators. And there were many times when he would pass information to me through Carlos. I would also rely on Carlos for what does this mean? Zach didn't answer my text or whatever it was. And, and he would interpret. Absolutely. Yeah. It was definitely Zach psychology 101. Uh-huh. And Dodie, was this your first time working with Netflix? Yes, it was. As a director's editor, didn't really feel the difference. I felt very supported by Netflix. And going back to Zach and his collaborators, Andrea Wertheim, the post-production supervisor that he has been working with for eons, she really took care of the post team and everything went really smoothly thanks to, again, her understanding of how Zach likes to work. It's so huge to have uh, good, clear communication And it just makes life so much easier when you have that. Yes. And before we went home on March 13th, we had one big suite where we were able to house the post team. So we had the editorial team, which was really four people. We had a VFX editor. We had a music editor. We had the post super. We had the VFX department, which was 
post producer, post supervisor, and two coordinators. Plus, we had offices for Zach and his producers. And that was really a great way to work because you could just walk down the hall and talk to anybody at any time to get something sorted out. Absolutely. I think that people don't realize how much we collaborate when we're editing and how it's nice to have time at home, but remote editing does make communication a lot more difficult. Yes. First of all, when I went home, I didn't know yet that I was going to be working on Justice League. So I set up my system for Army of the Dead, and I was in my own home office with a really pared down system. And I really thank my lucky stars that I had been working with Zach in person up until then, because the learning curve for us was just getting used to the the system and the equipment and the VPN and all of that sort of thing. It wasn't us getting to know each other. So then as the weeks were wearing on, and then he asked me to jump onto Justice League, I got a more sophisticated setup. I moved to another room in my house where I could work longer hours and make more noise. And that was the way we started working was through FaceTime. So I had a music stand set up and I could set my phone there and we would just FaceTime each other. And he had a matching Abbott set up at his home office. And he could see what I was doing on the timeline and the monitors, and then we could see each other. Was that with Evercast or was that with FaceTime? FaceTime. Oh, wow. Yes. And we were, we didn't need Evercast because he had the matching Avid and he was using Jump Desktop and TunnelBlick was the VPN. I see. So the film lived at the post facility and both of you were jumping in and grabbing the footage, and he was able to see the timeline when you would play it. Exactly. And if you imagine in The Matrix how all those people are in their pods and they're providing the power, that's how I look at (laughs) this warehouse in Burbank (laughs) full of avids that are running, and there's nobody there. (laughs) They're just providing the data. And then we are proxies for what is actually going on over there. Yeah, hopefully it's not somebody's consciousness that's actually trapped inside the uh, machines in Glendale. Yeah, exactly. I do still think I am doing the work. (laughs) 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 So that worked out. It worked out. And I suppose I could say I could do it again, but I would prefer not to. I'd rather be in person. Yeah, I think that there's just something about collaborating in person that just makes a big difference. I think that you can do it, but there is something very nice about having that uh, feel of the person in the room. Absolutely. So Army of the Dead, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I just thought it was so much fun. And I just thought that the first scene just perfectly set up the tone of the film where you intercut from the couple consummating their wedding day (laughs) with the soldiers carrying the package. Right. Well, it's a great scene to start with because Zach was also the DP and the camera operator uh, in a lot of cases. And he really wanted to shoot that in this natural light where you can only shoot for about an hour. (laughs) So he he wanted to shoot at magic hour. Yes, but also at at sunrise. <laughs> oh, sunrise. So, Both, because uh-huh. I mean, they mimic each other. So, and also uh-huh. to get the sun in the right position and all of that. 
So it was shot over about, was, it seemed like it was about two weeks because they oh, also wow. had a situation with lightning. It so, was uh, 18 days, I think, we ended up for the, the, the beginning of the movie. Right. Wow. So what was happening was that I was, of course, every time dailies came in, I was cutting it. And I would cut it and I would have cards for what was missing and cutting, cutting, cutting. And then they finally, at the very end, they did some stuff on the stage, like the bright lights going into the guy's eyes when he's, you know, seeing God. That is a, a euphemism. Um <laughs> <laughs> And so it was something that was really developing very slowly. And then, of course, that meant it was too long. And then it was really kind of a fun process to bring it down till you just had the right amount of whipped cream on the Sunday. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and are you sending Zach cut footage or are you sort of telling him it would be nice to have this? I think Zach is somebody who has a pretty clear vision, but he also gave me as the editor, and I believe he gives his editors this, a lot of freedom to do what they feel is right. We never watched dailies together and talked about how he wanted it to be while they were shooting. But he also is not at all squeamish about seeing cuts, even of incomplete scenes. So I was constantly sending him things. And what I was saying about Carlos, that those would go through Carlos to Zach. And uh, sometimes he would give me the feedback. Sometimes he'd give Carlos the feedback. And he also has something of a photographic memory, which was really handy because if there was something that he thought he had, he could say, I had this shot and I'd like to use that. And I don't know about other editors, but I've been in the position where a director has said that and then I'm scrolling through and scrolling through. <laughs> With Zach, that's never the case. It, it really always exists. I know that what happens is, and Carlos could probably attest to this, is that they'll say, I know I shot this and you'll have gone through it, Dodie, and be like, I, I can't find it. Carlos, can you go find that? And I guess it didn't happen on this, but then you have the assistant Three weeks later going, I've looked through everything like three or four times. I just don't know where that is. I called the lab. They, they, they gave us everything. Right. Well, and because we were on location, he could pop into the editing room if he needed to. It sounds like such a collaborative environment. It sounds really awesome. It was. It was really great. So has Zach been the DP of his other projects? How has that worked in the past? And maybe Carlos could also fill me in a little bit about that. He was an operator DP on commercials. On the other films, he always had a DP with him, but there would always be a Zach camera. He would always have a camera where he would shoot inserts or he would take on some of the second unit stuff. But this is the first film where he was the DP from beginning to end. And what was the choice to do that? Do you know? There had been a considerable amount of time between leaving Justice League and Army of the Dead, which was his first project after that. He just wanted to really get in and be more integral to every part of the process. And mm. I think that he had been working with refurbishing these old lenses and he, he really had a specific look in mind. And I think he just wanted to remove one more person that he had to explain his vision to. Sure. He has a, another idea that he wants to do. It's another script that he's written. And that one is a like super low budget movie. And so he always planned on just getting down to a skeleton crew. So I think this was 
almost the dress rehearsal for that. And again, with the lenses and everything, it ended up working out really well. I find with these streamers, it, it, it's freeing up some of these directors to be like, this is my pet project. There's something freeing about being able to, to work on these projects that are a little bit more stripped down, a little smaller. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying, that Netflix was willing to have him do that. And yes, it, it is freer creatively. So the zombies move really fast in this film, and it's almost superhuman. Did you do much speed ramping, or how was that uh, achieved? I am telling you, there is no speed ramping. These guys are stunt actors that Zach has been working with for years, and they are amazing. In particular, Spider. (laughs) I had to look at the dailies of this one shot. Of not just one shot, but all of the shots in this one scene, the scene when Spider, who we call the general, he goes so fast. It's phenomenal. And by the way, the actor who played Martin, he did his own stunts for that too, which I just had to watch it over and over again. I can't believe this. I kept looking, is there a wire? What? Yeah. No, nothing. It's just He left made- over that car. <laughs> That was really him just leaping over a car. And so like the the reaction of the actor, I think, is real because it it all happens so fast. (laughs) He's like, whoa. (laughs) So what kind of frame rate does Zach normally shoot his action sequence at? Does he shoot them at 24 or does he shoot them at 22 or 48 or? Well, first of all, there's no normal because this film was done with a different model completely than his previous films. And we were talking about budget. We didn't have a phantom camera, so we weren't shooting 500 frames a second or any of that kind of thing, which he would have done in his last five movies prior to Army of the Dead. Everything, for the most part, was shot at 24, and then there were some occasional things that were shot at 48, 96, and I think the most was 120. But he wasn't doing any tricks. If they were at 48 or 96 or 120, there was a good reason for that. One other thing I'll say, there are speed ramps in the title sequence, of course. So that Mm -hmm. was all shot, I think, at 96 or 120. Well, tell me about the title sequence, because it's super dynamic. You've got these jump cuts, you've got slow-mo, you've got speed ramps, and you've got this really amazing song. Tell me a little bit about putting that all together. Well, I did do the first cut of it, and it was 16 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) And so that gives you an idea of how much material there was. And Zach and I decided very early on, this was Zach's suggestion, and I leapt at the opportunity. He wanted to just send it to Jen Horvath, who's a trailer editor that he works with a lot, to do a cut down. And we had so much other stuff to do. This was in the first week of the director's cut. And she sort of dialed it back into something that was about six minutes long. And then I took it back from her and finished it for all of the gyrations that we had to go through with uh, the music. So it was really a combination of Jen and myself getting that dialed in, plus visual effects, because we were adding muzzle flashes and speed ramps and blood splats and all of that. And that was all time to the percussion of the song. And that was a really arduous, like kind of back and forth process between music VFX and editing. Wow. When I was watching it, it almost seemed like 
those scenes had been written as scenes in the narrative and that it wasn't shot for a title sequence, but it sounds like it was. And that's probably why it was 16 minutes long, because it does seem like it could be a 16 minute long opening where it's showing how Vegas became Vegas. Exactly. Yeah, there was a lot more to every little story. And again, it had to be cut down. And it was shot for a title sequence, but there was a lot to choose from. And I really love the way it turned out. It's so fun. And I love the idea of intercutting the photos of like the soccer mom with her killing zombies to protect her child. And those those photos are just classic. Yeah, and it shows them evolving, <laughs> which I love, and her getting the tattoo and drinking the booze and <laughs> how sad she looks when she has to kill the, the couple in the car. And I love that in this very short time, too, there's a whole narrative arc and she ends up getting, spoiler alert, killed at the end of the t- <laughs> that title sequence. Oh, my God. Yeah, you grow to love her as a character, even though it's uh, very quick. You get a sense that she's just this ferocious mom who who will do anything to protect her children. Right. And that's a theme that comes back in the film several times, because you have that with Gita trying to get her kids out of the camp. You have it with Athena, the zombie queen, who's pregnant. And then you have it again with Scott and Kate. Yeah. And I know that this is a project that Zach had in his head for many, many years, but it does almost seem like some of that might be him thinking about his relationship with his daughter and his family. I think everything Zach does has a lot to do with his family. I mean, let's just say collectively, he's a family man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He and his producing partner, Deborah Snyder, they are all about family. And the the title sequence reminded me a little bit about The Watchmen. That also is charting a big, long narrative. Yeah, I I think it's one of Zach's trademarks. Anybody who loves his movies is always sitting there ready to relish the title sequence. So tell me about the nightmare flashback. I just love how you put it together and the choice to play the whole thing in slow-mo until the very end and just... Talk to me about that. I mean, I was given really beautiful material. And I think that the woman who played his wife really did a great job. And there was one particular take of her lunging at him that was a a one-off. And I kind of built the scene around that shot. Mm. But also, he was great in terms of showing a lot of emotion in this really stressful situation. And we had his tear fall, which was practical. And then he dropped the gun and we added the tear falling before the gun hits the ground, which I was fighting for a VFX shot that wasn't planned. And then when he gets over to her, we let her turn around. And then there are these series of dissolves where she just looks so animalistic and, Mm. uh, and then she lunges at him. And then the rest of it is just an emotional take on what one would have to go through if they had to kill their spouse. Absolutely. So 
The source cues are very deliberate. I love like the Bad Moon Rising while they're gathering the weapons and things like that. Were a lot of these source cues chosen while you were editing or were they chosen later and you brought them in during the mix? Most of them were chosen beforehand. Zach had created a playlist of songs that he felt represented the film and then certain ones of those were actually scripted. Bad Moon Rising was in there from the beginning. Hmm. Uh, we added the end during the, the bus ride. The zombie, the use of zombie, we had a different version in there, but we ultimately landed on the acoustic cranberries version of zombie that was there. Suspicious Minds, that that was also scripted. I'm trying to think what other source cues we had. There were a bunch of source cues that we ended up not using just because the shape of the movie changed with the natural shortening of, of scenes. I mean, obviously the main title. Yeah, the main title. that was. Yeah, we had a couple of different options, but we were really excited to use uh, Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> that was a fun challenge, just getting that right, because we had to kind of really do a lot of R&D to get the song in the, into the right shape with the upbeat lounge version and then sort of the R&B section and then the sort of singer-songwriter version at the end that's sad. So we were really playing around with the lyrics and where each verse of the lyrics fell. And it's really hard to do something like that with a song that's so well-known because the audience presumably is singing along with it somewhat and they're expecting the verses to come when they come. But the singers did their own interpretive styling too. So that was a big back and forth process. And so the singers would record stuff and then you would bring it into the Avid, work with it, and then they might do some more recording. Yes, it actually was a combination of both of the singers, Alison Crow and Richard Cheese, and the orchestrator, he would even sometimes sing the lyrics. And then sometimes I would just take it, rip it apart and rearrange it. And that was painful and challenging, actually, because also it had to do with when the tempo changes were and where all these percussion and, and horn accents were. Because we don't have Absolutely. sound effects in the whole scene. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that, but you're right. It's really driven by the music, and so you don't have the, the sound effects to, to play with. Yeah, right. And it's also more fun. I mean, this was exactly what we were doing, and that's where the speed ramps come in. That's where the carefully timed muzzle flashes and blood splats come in. So to hit on some of the instrumentation, you had speed ramps and uh, blood splats and things like that hit on certain brass hits and things like that. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Or we added brass hits to hit them. Cool. Yeah. Wow, my favorite that... is the uh, the Gatling gun represented by a, a aggressive piano hitting, which is great. Wow. I... It sounds so involved. Yeah. That was one of the last sections of the film that got locked. Another scene that I thought was so well put together was when the team gets gathered together because you really clearly establish everyone's personality in a very succinct, emotional way. Well, it's the same kind of thing because you want to get to know them enough to care about them, but you also want to get on the road. So that's just a matter of trial and error, how much you need to show. There was a lot more backstory shot for each one, and it's, it's just a delicate dance. 
Sure. So that we didn't spend too much time because I think that the audience is, is eager to get into Vegas as quickly as possible. Right. But then you still have to let us get to know them. Absolutely. Tig Nicotaro is just fantastic. She just jumps off the screen. Can you tell me a little bit about her? She is so perfect because she's so deadpan. And mm -hmm. uh, it was a real pleasure cutting her material. Absolutely. The editing with Tanaka going over the plan and then showing the rosy, heroic version of them easily getting into the safe was really fun. Can you tell me a little bit about that sequence? Sure. These things were very carefully planned out by Zach in advance. And the 360 is one of my favorite moments where the camera is going all the way around, starting with Cruz and landing on Dieter, where he's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, that, I love that shot. And that's matched into a shot of him saying the same dialogue in the warehouse. So that was really effective. And then he's swinging a club with nails in it is also one of my favorite things while everyone else <laughs> has machine guns. So that was very fun. And that whole sequence was all about getting to the Damon moment where he says, you all are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and him storming up. And it was just lots of fun material to work with. And I love the setup of, of Dieter and Bandero in that scene because really theirs is one of the central bromances in the in the movie. Well, I love how their relationship develops because they they have such disdain for each other and then they just really grow to to appreciate and care for each other. And I just think it's it's such a fun dynamic. Yeah. Dieter's character is great. Where where did Zach find him? Well, I'm sure his casting director brought him forward, but he's so wonderful that they've uh, shot a prequel that focuses on Dieter. Oh, really? I was also wondering whether there was much ad-libbing from the uh, actors or if they pretty much stayed to the script. Everybody stayed to the script, but since you're mentioning it, Dieter is the one character who did a lot of ad-libs and his ad-libs ad are great. And tell me about trying to figure out when it's not scripted, bringing in ad-libs and, and deciding what's the best of the ad-libs and, and how to fit it into a script where it wasn't originally intended. Well, that's one of the benefits of being a, an editor, which means that you're not on the set. So you're not falling in love with something just because it was funny in the moment. I'm watching everything from the point of view of telling the whole story. And if something makes me really laugh or makes me really feel something, then I'm going to be working pretty hard to get that into the movie. Sure. But I want to make sure that it's something that you would feel as an audience member, not as somebody who is participating in the making of. Because that can happen where you are on the set and you are just falling in love with the, the process. And I need to fall in love with the story and the emotional impact of the story. Yeah, I, I know that there's been times where it's like, well, that was so funny. And everybody laughed on the day, but you just go, well, it was funny on the day, but it just doesn't fit with the overall film that has now been developed. Right. Well, one of the things that is like that is when he says, by the way, I love your hair. <laughs> and, and Guzman's character just kind of looks at him and says, thanks. Well, that ad lib <laughs> went on longer and longer. There was so much more to it. 
But oh, we, he was describing other things that he he appreciated about him. Well, he he pointed to his own hair and said, you know, like, don't you like my hair, kind of thing, and all <laughs> that. And it was cute and funny, but it was a perfect bon mot to have right in the middle of this really intense section of the film, and that just having the right amount was key. It would have overstayed its welcome if we had let the ad lib go on. Yeah, I think if you let it go on too long, it it stops becoming funny and it's better to get in and out of something like that. Right, exactly. I love the suspense that uh, you built up when they enter Vegas. You, you expect that they're going to see thousands of zombies right when they come in and it's quiet. And then you have the buildup of the tiger and then the stealing of the gun. And then finally the reveal of the alpha female. And it's really well put together. Tell me a little bit about that. Wow. <laughs> it's so hilarious. I love your questions because generally speaking, when I get material, I just watch it all and dig into it and I put it together and then I sit back and I watch and see how I feel. And going through the containers to get into Vegas, talking about building up suspense, that was also much longer, filled with ad-libs, and it just wasn't doing it. So we made it shorter, quieter, and simpler, mm. and left it kind of clean. And there are only two gags in the whole entry prior to her busting open the doors. One is Tig Notaro's character telling Dieter to bring his gun up, which is perfect because it shows that how much of a fish out of water he is and separate sure. from the rest of the team. So that's sort of signaling the recurring theme with him. Is he going to be able to hold his own? And the other is Scott telling Kate that she can still go back. So that keeps the father-daughter story alive. The rest of it is just everybody looking around nervous. And one of the other big things I really love is Lily, the coyote, looking around at them. And she has a little bit of a wry smile, like, boy, these guys are newbies. Mm -hmm. and, and so those three things were the emotional aspect beside all the looks and everybody looking nervous. And we again let Dieter have the last laugh when she says, you should see it when it rains, when they all come back to life for a few minutes. And he's like... Uh, how often does it rain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so these are things that are, a lot of them are scripted, and it's just looking at the images and finding the one that tells the story best. But the choice to cut out a lot of the ad-libs and to keep it quiet, I think, was excellent because it, it really sets up this feel of it's almost too quiet. Something's going to happen. It's quiet. It's mm -hmm. too quiet. <laughs> mm -hmm. With scenes like that, do you bring Carlos into the room to check it out? Or, or are you mostly just playing it for yourself to get a sense of how, how it's playing before you show it to Zach? So remember when I said the best assistant is someone who never breaks a sweat? That also happens to be kind of true for editors. <laughs> <laughs> and the, but I will say that Carlos is the only one who gets to see me break a sweat. <laughs> and what that means is when I get the dailies, my first instinct is I have got to cut this as fast as possible and make sure that I have all the material. 
So during that period, I'm doing several things. I'm watching the material, deciding what I like, what I want to use, how I'm going to shape the scene. Then I'm cutting it at the same time. Then I'm also preparing the material for when the director is ultimately going to be in the room because I know from experience that they're going to ask for other things. So I'm doing a lot of things kind of all at once and I might actually be sweating. And then that's <laughs> when I need Carlos to come in, look at the cut when I landed a cut that I think tells the story and is showing that I have all the material to tell it in a good way. And I want him to look at it and give me feedback. And what that does is by the time I'm showing Zach, I've already been through my sweating process and Zach just sees a cool, calm, collected person. <laughs> would you say that's how it would work, Carlos? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 how it would work. We would go <laughs> in the room and I'd have the line script in my hand and we'd be seeing, you know, what what coverage you may not have used or, you know, if you needed to use it. So that was that was a that was a fun part of the process for me because I can sit there and see how you're working and how you're constructing this scene, which is a cool thing to be part of that process. Tell me about the tiger. Was that entirely CG or was it built onto a live tiger? I love that visual effect. Yeah, I think wasn't Spider the tiger? Yeah, Spider was the tiger. Yeah, Spider was oh. the tiger. Jumpsuit. <laughs> Yeah, in a green jumpsuit. And he really did a good performance as the tiger. But I, I love the tiger scenes because I got to do a lot of the imagining because we didn't have Spider lifting Martin up off the ground and thrashing him around like a rag doll. <laughs> so you didn't Spider couldn't do that? <laughs> no, Spider couldn't do that. But they had for the Martin mauling scene, they did have some puppeteers where they had two guys. One guy would be the front paws and one guy would be the heads but those were the most fun scenes to cut and the scene with the, the mauling was just really fun and Nick Garrett Dillahunt did a lot of his stunt work there was a stunt double for the ones where he's really thrown across the car yeah it's pretty uh, brutal <laughs> yeah those were that was a stunty but almost everything else was actually Martin wow tell me about the challenges of working with the visual effects house well, we had a VFX editor on the show, and Dodie does a lot of temps on her own. She really does amazing temp work. So she would kind of construct a lot of these shots on her own. Crudely, crudely, enough to get the message across, the story across. And would you do that in After Effects or with the Avid visual just, effects palette? I just use that, use the Avid palette. Mm -hmm. It's mostly split screens and speed ramps and that kind of thing. Taking something from another take, putting it in there or moving something around. Sometimes just even taking a piece from a storyboard and putting it in just to get the dialogue started. And we had a VFX team on with us. There were probably, what, four or five vendors. So I was never dealing directly with the vendors. I was dealing with the VFX supervisor and the VFX producer. So that would be Marcus Taramina and David Robinson. And I had worked with both of them before, so that was helpful. Plus, at a certain point, we brought in three in-house compositors, and they did more refined temps so that we could have something to show the studio Mm. And for previews, which never happened, thanks to COVID, we didn't do the regular preview process. But we still had very nice looking temps for a lot of stuff. 
The sound design is fantastic with the zombie vocals and things like that. How much sound work do you two do in the edit? And tell me about working with uh, the sound designers. It's quite a lot of sound work that that we end up doing at the beginning. Luckily, Zach has worked with Scott Hecker, sound designer, on all of his films. So before we even started, I was able to talk to Scott and get a whole library of sounds. I got gunshots, I got blood splatters, zombie vocals, a lot of which he had from Dawn of the Dead. I had a whole suite of sound effects. And other than that, the rest of the movie is kind of quiet other than like crickets or maybe some dead ambience. So it was just really getting the gunshots in and just bringing the characters to life that way. But that that was that was a lot of fun because we could really mess around with stuff. I, I think there's a gunshot in a scene that wasn't meant to be there, but I had accidentally cut it in and, and it worked and it stayed. <laughs> <laughs> The tension throughout the the movie is fantastic. I I really like the hibernating zombie scene and how that's offset when Chambers goes into her action scene with just so much energy. That's one of my favorite, favorite scenes. I love that scene. And again, probably exactly for the reason you're describing, because it's so quiet and Lily sort of sets it up that you really don't want to wake these guys up. Mm-hmm. So one of the best things about the production design and the set dressing in there is that you see all of these sort of like threads and sort of spider webby things hanging off of their hands and clothes. And then the whole bit with Scott dropping the silent sticks, that was just uh, one or two shots where you see him setting them down. The rest of it is him cracking them. Mm-hmm. And that was like a whole rhythm off camera and it keeps going. And then the, the bit with Martin and Chambers when he locks her in, I didn't know that they hadn't finished shooting Chambers coming up to that door. So I cut that first. And then a few days later, maybe it was even a week later, I got the other side and that really fleshed out nicely. This just brings me to another point with Zach, is that when he sees whatever I've done, he'll enhance beyond, he'll see, oh, this is what I've got. I'm going back there, and I can, I can get these other things, and that will enhance it. And he told me in the beginning that he wasn't planning to do a lot of inserts, So I wasn't sitting there going, an insert here, I'd like an insert there, because all I was looking at is, can I tell the story? But he would see it and he would augment because they were there. They could go back any time. So there were three or four things that I needed, but I would just tell them verbally and then the the shots would show up. Yeah, it wasn't like they had to uh, strike a set and then they, they weren't able to go back to that place and they had to manufacture something. Right, exactly. And this is the first film I've done in a very long time where I never wrote a list of things I needed. I would just mention it to Zach. And then if he wanted to see the cut, then the shot would show up a couple days later. That's great. It sounds like you and Zach had a pretty good rapport as far as you not being worried to show him early cuts and it being too rough. Right. No, no, that's not, that was never a problem with him. And that also, I can speak to that, that I didn't really cut much temp music. I was using the source songs as they were scripted and sound effects. And I also really wanted to leave room for sound effects. He appreciated that when we watched the first assembly. Well, I find that sometimes if you do bring in temp music too early, 
it can almost be a crutch and you don't know if the scene is working as well as it possibly could. Exactly. I'm, I'm of that mind. So there's great humor throughout the whole movie. And I love bringing the zombies up to the safe to trip the booby traps. And you use this <laughs> device on the elevator where you keep going to the yellow elevator light. And it's sort of this comedy of repetition. Well, I just say, thank God Zach shot those because <laughs> they're perfect. And with these kind of things, you want to kind of accelerate it. You don't want to show the whole story every time. So if you have something that's just an emblem, you can cut to the chase. And then mm. we, we cut to the, you know, cut to the elevator, the ding, the hand, <laughs> the wheels of the, of the dolly coming to a stop, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, it's more fun. Yeah. Those little pieces can really create a fun little uh, schematic of what's happening. The whole scene with the, the chef with the darts coming out, that was a lot of fun to put together because what we did was we created the VFX temps in the editing room to get rid of the darts because the guy already had the darts in him. So I erased them and then created the timing between the shooting the darts and then the big guns coming and shooting him up. And then the whole thing of the zombie <laughs> squish, I did all that also in terms of creating the timing. And that was with a bunch of different elements that they shot to have him get squished. Oh, very cool. The darts and the guns, those are really fast, almost immediate. But with the last one, which is the plate on the floor for the, the door squish, we left timing because we loved how that actor turned around and kind of did a grr thing. <laughs> we, we left the timing for that, but we put in the sound of the motors that would start up and squish to allow for that delay. Sure. I love when Dieter gets the safe open. That that whole sequence is just really wonderfully put together. Well, I would rather talk about the scene where they come down and they start talking, hey, Dieter, you got the safe open? And Bandero's like, shh, he's working. <laughs> and then you really know oh, yeah. he, that Bandero, yeah, he's gone to the other side. He is protecting yeah. Dieter. Dieter is this genius that must have silence around him. And that is where, to me, Dieter's biggest character arc is because he comes forward and he is really chewing Scott out. And Scott is this massive man <laughs> who is like clenching his jaw and he really looks hurt. The <laughs> Dieter is chiding him. And that whole section was so much fun to put together. They really did a lot. They gave me a lot to work with. And there's one shot of Bandero who's trying to stay calm because they are discussing, well, how are we going to get out? We can't run to the edge of the city. And they're kind of adding up minutes, figuring out if they're going to be able to survive. And Bandero is tapping his arm and looking, looking off sort of towards Dieter, but really kind of looking off into the distance. And I did a repo and a push-in on him to emphasize this mm. moment. And then he looks back and says, yeah, yeah, he can make it. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> totally not sure that he can make it. And then <laughs> we inserted a sound of Dieter off camera going, Shaisa! Like... <laughs> Like, it's not going so well. And all of that w was really fun to construct, just really fun. 
I, I find that the pace is really interesting in this film because it's suspense with humor, with action, and you're constantly playing with those different levers. It's so fun to uh, watch, but also must have been very fun to edit. Yeah, it it is fun to do that. I mean, I had a lot of fun with the action, of course, but partly because we had it interspersed with all these other tones. So it's not just an actioner in the classic sense of the word in that we really allowed the time for you to feel for the characters and their different journeys. Yeah, I feel like you're constantly mixing between the zombie attacks and these scenes with emotional drama between the characters. And there's such a fine line. Including the zombies. Zeus, to me, there are so many amazing scenes that he did. That's Richard Citrone. For example, when he finds the queen's body and picks her up and carries her back on the horse and he's just so destroyed... And then when pulling the baby out, also when he first shows up and listens to her stomach, it's just so beautiful. To me, I I really love all of that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's always so interesting when you have a character that doesn't have any dialogue. And it's all told through the body language and the facial expressions. And I feel like he did such a great job with that. And you did such a wonderful job creating that. That's what we live for. There's a lot of action sequences, and they're really great. But how do you keep them fresh and not exhausting the audience? Well, I think that each one of our action beats has a different theme and quality to it. The chamber scene is so great because it's one on the horde, and that is the theme of that one. And she, by the way, did her own stunts for that. That's all. She. It, it's incredible. I mean, that whole her. sequence is just so energetic and just really amazing. The first cut that I did, I was using a lot of the cut on action beats to speed it up or keep it moving. And then I went back through and did a pass to unwind some of the edits so that I was just playing with her performance as an actor slash stunt person. And I took out any cuts that I could take out that still kept the pace going. And there, I might have used a couple of speed ramps in there. So that was really fun to see how much she did practically with those stunties. It was pretty amazing. And yeah, then, and you, you really do see the emotion on her face while she's doing this. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a knee-jerk reaction in this kind of action to, as the person hits their hand forward, cut to the other angle for the reaction. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It just that you have a lot more control on the pace. But it was fun to unwind it to let more happen without cutting. Absolutely. Speaking further to what you said about keeping the action set pieces fresh, I think the location change for all of them also does that. And mm-hmm. then and then there are some action beats that are suspense-driven and some that are violent and excess-driven, like the sequence with Kate and Gita when she rescues them and then the zombie Cummings attacks them. So that's like suspense-based because we've shown that he's there roaming the hallways. And then when we reveal Zeus standing there with the horde, that switches into a different kind of more adrenaline-based action. 
the uh, casino, there were so many great options for fun things to happen with him running across the table, pushing over the... the... That sequence is incredible. And just seeing Scott running across the tables and things like that, it was pretty incredible. And it looked like, was he doing a lot of his own stunts as well? 95% of his stuff is him. There's one fall and roll that was somebody else. But yeah, he did almost everything himself. And then the fight in the helicopter, I think, is really special because it's such tight quarters and they're firing weapons which could kill anybody, including the pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they shot that over quite a few days. So when it's shot over quite a few days, do you start cutting it together or do you wait till they complete a scene? I'm a glutton for punishment. I start cutting right away. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to dig in. I mean, first of all, that sequence, there are so many visual effects, all the exteriors. I have to cut right away. But I also like to cut right away, and it just gets me more familiar with the material. Well, it's just been a huge pleasure to speak to both of you, and I really enjoyed the movie. It was so much fun, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was fun. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. What is this? It's a goddamn zombie tiger. That's crossing the line. 